Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Uh, The reading for this morning is out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11, and that's where we're going to begin. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? As I said, my name is Jason. Uh, I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here. We're in the middle of a series walking through the Sermon on the Mount. This is week four for those who are in their journals this morning. Wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, we say this every week. Our hope is Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, overwhelmed by life and Jesus seems a little bit distant. That today and this space could be a safe one. To consider faith, to consider who, might, who Jesus might be in general, or even just for you. I have found myself consistently captivated by the story of Jesus. Of who he is, of what he did, of why it matters for the world and why it matters for me. And so this Sermon on the Mount, what many would call the, a manifesto of this kingdom of God that Jesus is saying is breaking into the world. This Sermon on the Mount provides language and ideas and pushback against all that we see around us. It kind of confronts more than just big ideas of the world, but it also interacts with the day-to-day. We've talked about things like anxiety and worry. We've talked about things like judgment towards one another and accountability and the way that's actually taking place in our midst. And today we, we find ourselves kind of back in the beginning of where we were. In the month of September, we spent four weeks talking about the Lord's Prayer. And prayer has been a priority for us over the course of the fall. And then we read this scripture. It's not, it's not intentional that today is a baby dedication Sunday and then we hear about God be, being one who gives good gifts to his children. But it seems apt. It seems apt that this picture that's provided by Jesus is the one of a relationship between a parent with their child. As I mentioned, I've got a little girl and I had the gift of becoming her dad over a year ago. And it's been so much fun to see her development. I, I, I had an idea that the infant stage might be a little bit more challenging for me as, as the dad. Uh, I loved it way more than I thought I would. But I always kind of knew that once she reached around the age that she is now, she's, she's about 16 months. Uh, once she reached this age, I was going to love it. Her, her playfulness, her, her, her little bit of personality and attitude, uh, the way that she just wants to be everywhere and do everything, that's right up my alley. You want to run there, you want to jump there, you want to climb there, I'm there with you. Let's go after it together. I've loved every bit of that. And I've loved the fact that she's learning how to speak. She's, she's copying the things that I'm saying. There's language that's starting to develop within her. And what we know is that once she begins to maybe get her mind around the ins and outs of the English 
language and build grammar into her vocabulary, that she'll begin to speak in full sentences and just say whatever is on her heart and mind. And then in theory, eventually she's going to learn to do things like ask questions. She's going to do things like make, make demands and prompts, which she kind of does already. And observations, and maybe, just maybe, hopefully she'll, she'll listen as well. Uh, in, in a similar way, we are on a journey as a church where we're learning what it means to pray. And when we looked at the Lord's Prayer, as part of our development, Jesus was giving language of what it means to pray. Of learning what it means to commune with God, to develop relationship. Where the Lord's Prayer gives us words to follow and model and motivation around the things that we say. And this text then provides something a little bit different. If the first piece was model and motivation and language that we can use as our starting point, this text that speaks of ask, seek, and knock takes a little bit of a different push to it, a different approach. Suddenly it's more about persistence than anything. It's, it's not even just the idea of persistence. It feels like an invitation to persistence in our prayer. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear the idea of persistent prayer, I can feel like it's a little bit misleading. It's almost like this thing of prayer being persistent is a theoretical thing that feels unproven. Ask, seek, knock. It almost feels too linear in its approach to the nuance of humanity and of just being human. Doesn't, doesn't actually feel like life operates that way. So why should my prayer operate that way? And most certainly, my spiritual journey does not feel like it's a linear path. I would say it's more likely a, a, akin to a roller coaster than it is a clear, calm path. Much like when my daughter learned how to speak. The language of prayer for us is a starting point in the Lord's Prayer. But then Jesus offers us more. He's, he, he wants us to not just say the words, but continue to say them, to keep saying them. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the starting point. And then persistence follows. And I know for myself, when I start to feel like a need for persistence, there are moments in my life where it doesn't feel like even the idea of persistence is appropriate. You're not seeing the situation that I'm in, the thing that I'm longing for, the prayer that I'm demanding being answered. This is not the moment for persistent prayer. It, it, it doesn't feel right. Because we've evolved in what it means to be human in many ways. We're not just fixated on replicating the Lord's Prayer. We want to have a far more personalized prayer life. We want to pray a specific situation to God. We want to read what's on our heart and make plain what's going on. And in many ways, Jesus recognizes this. He's not ignorant to it. And he invites us to be persistent. Ask, seek, knock. That's what we're talking about today. When reading a, a text like this, and like I said, it can feel linear, uh, I, to some degree, I want it to be that way, right? I, I want prayer to be like, I can do three things and get what I would like. 
if that's the case, then I'll do it every time. We feel like it's a game of like Mortal Kombat. That if I do the exact button in the exact, win, exact way, I'm going to do the exact move what, that I want and it's flawless victory. It, it does exactly what I hope it would do. But that longing, I think, has more to do with my desire for control than relationship with God. So here's the question. Or here's the, the, the big idea. How, how you pray has a lot less to do with the technique and has more to do with who you think is listening. How you pray has a lot less to do with your technique and it has more to do with who you think is listening. Jesus starts by saying, when you pray, say this. And then Jesus assumes that we keep on praying. That followers eventually, they progress in their relationship and they, they have a baseline of prayer in which they engage in. But what, what is the real life experience of talking honestly with someone? If I'm going to speak a certain way to someone, often it is predicated upon the level of trust that I hold. I'm not going to say certain things to certain people because I don't hold the trust that is necessary for me to believe that it is going to be held well. It's going to be received well. It's going to be heard well. In many ways, when Jesus is saying, ask, seek, knock, and then he follows it with this idea of, well, he's a good father. Jesus is not so concerned about the technique that we engage in in our prayer, but he's more concerned about us understanding to whom we think we're praying. Who do you think you're praying to? Who do you think they really are? Who do you think God is in the midst of that prayer? Because we need trust to exist in order for our words to be honest and true. Trust is a central theme of what it means to be human. And the fruits of trust are often the things that really capture our imagination. Whether it's a movie like Shawshank Redemption, which relays the power of trust. Or uh, a childhood story about the boy who cried wolf, and then suddenly all trust is lost. Or my favorite, everybody's favorite, epic saga, Lord of the Rings, where all the characters face challenges that require them to trust one another outside of direct proximity in their quest to destroy the one ring. Trust. Do we have it? Do we even associate trust with this idea of God? This is what we do know. Trust is easier said than done. Trust feels easily destabilized and often tenuous. And we aren't quick to give it, but we sure seem to think that trust should be quickly given to us. Even if you think about it this way, we've introduced moments in our services. We were kind today in many ways for the introverts in the room. And we didn't ask you to turn to your neighbor and pray with a random individual who's sitting beside you. But we have done that and we will do it again. Spoiler alert, it's going to happen. Um, but that requires a level of trust. It would be an even higher level of trust for some of you if we were to say, well, you know what, in this moment we feel like you need to test the boundaries of trust that you have. I want you to turn to your neighbor, close your eyes, trust fall straight into your neighbor. Maybe, maybe that is worse than prayer in terms of what that feels like for you. Or perhaps prayer feels worse than a trust fall. Easily destabilized 
something that we feel like we're, we should be quick to earn, but we're not really quick to give. Stephen Covey, he says that trust is the glue of life. It's the most essential ingredient in effective communication. It's the foundational principle that holds all relationships. And when trust exists, we do something with it. And this is what Jesus leads us towards. So these three verbs, these three actions represent in many ways levels of persistence in prayer. Ask, seek, knock. Because you trust someone is there, right? And not just that, but you trust that that someone is worthy of your intention and attention. Ask can refer to making requests of God. Seeking can suggest that you're actively searching for guidance and wisdom. And then knocking implies a persistence in seeking entry into his presence or provision. Jesus wants us to pray persistent prayers. I could have just gone through those individual words and spent time. But in many ways, the focus is not the technique. It's the person to whom that we think we're praying. This is about relationship. And, and if you're new to church or if you're new to faith or you haven't heard much about Christianity, know this, that Jesus is so fixated on this idea of relationship with his followers. It isn't about getting you to do the right thing in the right way, to say the right words and experience good things in life. It is not a formula that he set before us to follow, but an invitation for relationship, the way in which we've been created. And in many ways, we don't know anything beyond relationship. We, we long for real, honest, authentic relationships. And I want you to know this, that Jesus wants the same thing with you. And so when we read a scripture like this, don't get lost in the way that we've been societally programmed to see something and be like, that can be a formula for my success. Ask, seek, knock, get what I want, ka-ching, ka-ching, Jesus is my vending machine. This is not what is being provided. Jesus is saying, ask, seek, and knock, not to get God's attention, but because you have God's attention. Because his desire for relationship with you is greater than anything that you long for yourself. Even if you've held this idea of God being relational, there are most certainly moments in our life where it doesn't feel that way. We need to move past making these basic black and white statements of what God does and who God is. We're so quick to see the nuance and the complexity of what it is to be human in our day-to-day. -day, and we don't really apply that to our faith. We say, okay, silence means God is absent. Communication is assurance. And experience is going to be the way that leads me to faith. But the way that Jesus looks at it is not so simplistic. To say one thing might be an experience of another, but our experiences are not always true. Our emotions are not always true. There's more to discover in the midst of it than in the moment. If we believed that God really was a good God who gives good gifts, we would pray more. I don't think that's a, too far of a reach. Because our idea of prayer is not best seen in the theoretical or in theology. It's best proven in our behavior. If you believe that God is not interested, is not available, 
then perhaps you'll pray out of routine, but you most certainly won't make it practice. But if we believe that God is interested, willing to answer, present in every circumstance, then everything changes in how we approach prayer. So he makes a call to persistent prayer and provides a metaphor to answer that question. So why should I pray? Why should I trust God? When you look at the, the scriptures, there's four gospels that are presented to us that provide the story of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you can think of it this way. It's as if there is a single script that is provided to four different directors. And each provide a beautiful story of the time of Jesus' life and ministry for us to look into. Matthew is this historical documentary. Mark is this action movie. Luke is this science fiction. And John is this love story. All though with this singular script to present to us who Jesus is so that we can come into relationship with him. So... You will, you're going to see commonality between the different Gospels. Here in Matthew 7, we hear this prompt of ask, seek, and knock. But do you see the same prompt in Luke chapter 11? So let's read that together. In Luke chapter 11, it provides a little more detail and examples, but the same sentiment. It says, then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight. And say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give, get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds and the one who knocks the door will be opened. Now, a little bit of a backstory. Uh, Jesus was a first century Jewish rabbi, and this common and popular kind of rabbinic teaching that the New Testament scholars talk about is called how much more. This, this is language and approach that would have been common in the time. And the manner in which it's presented is a way of drawing your attention to a finer point. And Jesus' point is not that you're a lousy parent. It's not that God would be a, a, a bad friend. It's not that you have to work really hard to have someone get you bread if you really need it. It's, it's more than that. His point is that if the parents of the world, if the friends of the world, if the things of this world can find even a hint of generosity when, with our shameless audacity, think to yourself how much more generous God will be. He wants us to capture this idea. And he uses these three verbs, ask, seek, and knock. The, the thing that I want you to know about it is that in the, in the Greek, it's a present progressive term. It's a present progressive tense. Which means that our translation to the English is probably more apt to say, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. That is to say, built into the word is this idea of persistence. And then Jesus presents that. For the, for the first century listeners, they would have heard the persistence in the language. And then Jesus provides these metaphors for them to look at and to listen to. So I want to talk about briefly what are the three different ways in which we see Jesus use the metaphor to talk about who God is. In his metaphors, he talks about how God is a better friend. 
how God is a better father, and how God gives his very best. This matters because you're going to talk differently to someone that you trust. So we need to talk about who we believe we're actually praying to. So God is a better friend. There's something about having a good friend, isn't there? Someone that you feel like you can talk to really candidly, honestly, truthfully, often. You feel like there's a, a good relationship that's there. And we can, I hope for yourself that when I say a good friend, somebody comes to the forefront of your mind and something, somebody that you're thankful for, that you can be grateful for. But in the same sense, we all have th- that exact friend and we know, to our, we know that there probably is a, a moment, a point in which maybe they're not going to do everything that we ask for. They might be the most generous person in the world. They might literally think to themselves that they would die for you, but there, there is limits in the way that we interact with one another. That they're going to be a really good friend, and, but they could be busy with children and they feel like they've locked on the house and even though you need that bread, it requires you pounding on that door to get their attention. We have good friends, but Jesus is saying, not that I'm that friend, but I'm a better friend. That there's, there's a better friend that I want you to know. In general, when Jesus provides these dramatic comparisons of of friendship, of of the bread versus the stone, of of, of a snake and a fish, this is language that's not overly familiar to us, but within that first century context, it would have been comical. It would have been satirical in nature. Think SNL. Saying something that's truthful in a way that's dramatic to really get the point across. And that's what Jesus is doing. He wants the, the listeners to understand like how much more will God actually give to you than what you see on a day-to-day basis. And he doesn't give you bad gifts. He doesn't just substitute a snake for a fish or a stone for some bread just to make you feel good about yourself as if you've received it. He actually wants the very best for you. God is a better friend. And the limits and hesitations of generosity in our humanity is not what we find in God. I want you to think of it this way. Unconditional love sits at the center of the universe. And that love is the foundation of God's response to you. It doesn't demand anything of you for that generosity to be received. And Jesus is saying God wants us to ask, seek, and knock. Not simply to get the bread that's available to us, but to come into the house. To be in relationship with him. Remember that... Uh, According to Soren Kierkegaard, you can put that quote up on the screen, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. Persistence in prayer is part of our discovery of the character of God. And to know the generosity of God increases our willingness to persist in prayer. It's cyclical in nature. One feeds into the other. I persist in prayer and I've come to know who God is. And when I know who God is, I persist in prayer. And it's, it's like any relationship that you might have on a day-to-day basis. You go through something together and you trust them with more. And then you will go through more things together and you'll trust them with more. And real life starts to intertwine with thought and motivation and feeling and soon persistence becomes one of the best ways to ensure honest and true intention. I think this is one of our hesitations with this text. We can feel disingenuous when we're persistent in our prayer. I can barely pray the first time. Why would I pray the second or the third? This was hard enough to get out of my mouth because of the situation that I'm in. It would feel fake to keep on praying. 
This is what I've discovered for myself. Persistence in prayer is a way in which that my motivation and my intention is purified. When you're persistent in something, it becomes pretty clear that I'm, only, I'm going to continue to do it because it really matters to me. There was one season of my life where the idea of going to med school was at the forefront of my existence. It was part of my identity. It was everything I wanted to do. I wrote the MCAT. I re- went and I applied to different schools. And I didn't get in on the first go. And I had to ask myself a really honest question. Was I doing it for the right reasons or doing it because I wanted my parents to be happy? And <laughs> that's just like part of the, mi- the mix of it all. They would always be happy with, with whatever I chose to do. But for me, I had, equi- I had created this equivalency of identity, of, of purpose that was not going to actually create the right persistence within me. Put my sister on the other hand where she had persistence in her process. And her motivation was so much purer and so much more right. And now she is a doctor. She is on that path. Often when you are persistent in something, when you stay in it, it reveals that you actually want it. You actually desire it. You're actually moving towards it. So we need to have that persistence in what we do to discover who God is. And he wants you to know that he's a better friend. Think of the best friend that you have and know that he is better. The second idea is God is a better father. And in this how much more idea, Jesus paints a picture of God not only being a better friend, but holding the perspective of a father. And what's the perspective of a father? Well, a a parent is not just partially responsible for his children. They're fully responsible for their children. Think of it this way. Uh, If you have a a three-year-old and there's... Would you just let them sign up for pre-K on their own and maybe step in to help with a little bit of the paperwork? No, you're, you're going to be fully involved in the process. If, if you have a three-year-old, you're going to not just feed them periodically and begrudgingly, you're going to feed them regularly and with joy. And if you have a three-year-old, your attention all the time, not just once in a while, is given to them. And then you make yourself available to them. And there's a priority in that. What Jesus is drawing to mind with this metaphor is that he's calling to mind the most dependent relationship that the disciples could think of. Between a father and his child. And he's saying that that's how you can relate to God as your father. And before the disciples could get stuck on the many aspects of the language of father that could hold them down. He wants them to know that God is not simply the father you've had. God is a better father. He isn't just speaking objectively. He's speaking to a group of people in front of him. And it's the same for us. You can hear the language of dad and father, and it can be tied to a whole litany of other ideas than what Jesus desires for you. It could be a a connection of distance, of hurt, of abandonment, of separation, of of absence. Or maybe there's a lot of good things that are associated, but then there are moments where our humanity peeks through. Jesus is saying that God is a better father, not simply the one that you've had. And he wants you to have that trust built out of that relationship. All the ways that you've experienced a father relationship that has had its difficulties, know that God is better. And in all the ways that has been beautiful, know that God is better. 
We're not called to persistence in prayer because of God's reluctance, but because of God's willingness. He's taken full responsibility of you. And then the third idea is that God gives his very best. Luke 11 probably says this more clearly in verse 13. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That is to say that God gives his very best and in doing so he gives himself. God's story is a story of him giving himself to his people over and over and over again. This isn't a text asking us for blind faith. This is a text to engage in relationship and discover divine trust. Worship team, you can join me at the front. The garden isn't a picture of perfection because of its beauty, but because humanity is pictured in perfect union with God. It's about relationship. The liberation of the Israelites wasn't about leaving Egypt, but journeying to the promised land with God to build a temple. It was about relationship. The temple wasn't a big deal because of its grandeur or its expensive nature, but because of the manifest presence of God that chose to reside there. It was about relationship. This was a time and time again, God gives, him, God gives his best by giving himself. And, and notice that in all these things, they were good things that were framed around it, but the ultimate thing is that God gave himself. It isn't about the perfection of your prayers, the correct words or tone. It's about the one to whom we pray. Max Licato has this beautiful line from his book, New Beginnings. He says that God has followed us on our journey, but we're quick to turn away. We don't accept God's gifts, but God still gives them. And most of all, God gives us himself. Even when we choose our hobble over his house and our trash over his grace, still he follows. Never forcing us, never leaving us patiently persistent, faithfully present, using all of his power to convince us that he is who he is and that he can be trusted. So a sermon like this can be sometimes difficult because we, we hear that, okay, I, I should trust God. I need to ask God more. I need to be more persistent in my prayer. But there's big questions around prayer that, we're, that we face every day. When I'm persistent in my prayer, what do I do when it isn't answered? If God already knows what I need, why do I even bother praying at all? If I walk into these spaces of prayer with low expectation, does it somehow prevent me from actually engaging in what God has for me? Do I disqualify myself? For some of us, we haven't received what we're asking for, and there's a difficult mystery in our prayer lives that looks like unanswered prayer. For others of us, we haven't seen the prompt of James and that invites us that we need to ask in order to receive. But we've been hesitant to even ask because of the fear of disappointment. But this is what we know about who God is. God gives himself. God gives his very best. And the place where that is most seen for us is Jesus. Jesus himself was acquainted with the pain that holds us back. Jesus' greatest teaching on unanswered prayer 
isn't a teaching at all. It was a personal experience for him in the Garden of Gethsemane. The day before Jesus is taken to the cross, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane doing what you and I often do, bearing a deep burden. And then on our knees before God, we cry out, and Jesus did the same. With like a violence to his words and a ferocity to his posture, he asked God, if it is possible, I don't want to die on the cross in 24 hours. And yet he did. And the beauty of the story is the resurrection on the other side. But for Jesus in that moment, he was God with us. He knew the anguish of unanswered prayer in our humanity. And he concludes his statement, not with, well, you better figure it out and do it for me, but with this deep statement of relational trust. That whatever is in your wisdom, your grace, your will be done. In Matthew 7, Jesus introduces the Father and says, ask, seek, knock. And then in Matthew 27, Jesus dies on the cross. He knows that anguish, that frustration that we feel in those moments. And yet he invites us, trust still. Trust again. Ask, seek, knock. It doesn't mean a life of ease. Jesus doesn't say this even if we might think it. He says, you will have trials and difficulties. So don't ask because it's easy. Don't seek because it's right. Don't knock because someone said so. Ask, seek, and knock because you know or you have come to know that God is a better friend, that God is a better father, and that God gives himself that God gives his very best, not simply to do that out of tokenism or out of the sake of saying, I've done it, but so that he could be in deep, true, honest relationship with you. That he wants to be in that place where you can bring your deepest grief and know that he knows that grief alongside you. How can I trust God? I've never seen God. Well, the most perfect and beautiful picture of who God is, is in Jesus. In Jesus, we hear who God is, and then we see who God is, a God who draws near. In Jesus, we see a God who loves unconditionally. In Jesus, we see a God who loves sacrificially and generously. This is the one that we are seeking after and knocking after. So for you this morning, the, the, the question is not go home and get a practice of persistent prayer going. The question this morning is do you know to whom you are praying? And if you don't, there's grace in that. And there's an offering that Jesus wants to know you and for you to know him. How prayer has less to do with the technique and more to do with who you think is listening. I want you to think of it this way. Corey Ten Boone says that the best way to find out if you can trust God is to trust God.
if someone was talking about this beautiful sunset that was taking place around you and they were telling you about all the goodness it's kind of like what Jesus is saying look how good God is look how beautiful this sunset is what what would be the way in which we would experience that sunset will we just look really carefully and examine try to examine the sunset through the retinas see the moisture that's going down their forehead because of the beauty of that scene to look in their eyes to experience the joy secondhand through them no how you experience the sunset that some saying is going on around you what do you do you turn and look at it how do you learn to trust God well you gotta trust God it, it feels simplistic and almost silly but how do you experience the beauty of a sunset you look at the sunset I can tell you about all the reasons why I think that God is a better friend a better father and gives himself and gives his very best but ultimately the invitation is Will you try to trust? Will you turn and look at the sunset for yourself? Jesus wants to be in relationship with you. So for us this morning, we have an opportunity to enter into that. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Who do you think is listening when you pray? And do you believe you can trust them? So Father, we ask that you give us diligence to seek you, wisdom to ask you, and patience to wait for you. For each person that's here this morning, wherever they find themselves on their journey of faith, I just pray that there would be an interruption in their thoughts, in their minds that would have them maybe just consider who you are. That you're a God who loves them unconditionally, pursues them continually, that cares for them always. So Spirit of God, we just, we invite you into this place. And for the ways in which we feel like our our prayer lives have been broken down by those moments of unanswered prayer or confusion. I pray for healing. Not healing in our technique, but in our perspective of who you are. And then as we learn who you are, thank you that you promise that that doesn't just leave us the same. It begins to change us and transform us into your image. We want to be more like you. And so for all the ways in which we are being held back, we ask for your grace and your direction. Lead us and guide us in these days to come. And this week ahead, I just pray that we would have revelations of who you are first and foremost. And that you would give us courage to be persistent in our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.